Hey, what's up, guys? We're live here. Chris Dell with the Betting Predators. I'm here with our handicapper extraordinaire, Mr. Steve Reeder at Avoid the Vig on Twitter. Uh, we're here to break down week one NFL, mostly the Sunday afternoon games. We'll maybe touch a little bit about Thursday night. Steve's going to go through and break down his power ratings. Uh, he's putting that out every single week for our in-season in package subscribers. We're going to talk a little bit about our player props as well as just things we took away and noticed. For, for me, I'm going to talk about it more from a fantasy perspective in terms of guys to buy and sell, guys to add on the waiver wire, just interesting notes for attacking player props in the future now that we have some data under our belts. Uh, Steve's going to talk about it from you know power ratings, look ahead lines, bets he's looking to make for week two, things of that nature. And we'll kind of go back and forth and try to make this quick here. Um, but overall, I mean, what did you notice, Steve, kind of before we jump into the first game on the schedule? Like, what was your biggest takeaway in terms of anything? Like, hey, I got to adjust uh, this team on my power ratings, or, or I really got to knock down this team a peg or two, or increase this team up. Like, what's kind of your overall biggest takeaways from week one so far? I think it, it's tough to argue the drubbing you know, with Green Bay and New Orleans. You know, the first thing you, you thought about there was a huge uh, swing. I think I, I carried a Green Bay ticket. Uh, plus three at one point, and then obviously the uh, venue changed. So then the, the the bet is null and void. So my biggest thing with that is, you know, here we go from plus three. You know, they have a venue change. They have to get up and move. They have a hurricane over there. Um, they're playing in a different spot that they weren't anticipating. I, I thought there was going to be more Green Bay support in the marketplace, which there was. It moved in that direction. Uh, but ultimately, I was really surprised by how poor they showed today. I, they didn't show up at all. And I really don't know what to make of it. I mean, is this have something to do with the lingering issues with Aaron Rodgers and uh, Devontae Adams? Are they really looking to get out there? Um, so that was something I, I – how good is New Orleans and how much do I downgrade New Orleans, uh, Green Bay right now? And that was really, I think, the hardest takeaway right now for me um, and something I'm going to have to look into. Yeah, is that – I mean, just in terms of that, is, I mean, is that something you want to – you know, do you think people are going to overreact to it when you look at the media, the public narrative? I'm guessing that, you know, first take and shows like that, like they're going to be absolutely just, you know, ripping the Packers to shreds, which could that create some value on the Packers in week two? I, I don't know if the public, public sentiment will shift that far. But, man, I mean, I, I, w- I was shocked to see it myself too, uh, just how inefficient the Packers were down the board. I mean, not just Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Jones – Five carries for nine yards. Uh, Aaron Rodgers averaged less than five yards per attempt, 133 yards on the day. And it, it was just amazing to see. And it just makes you think, like, man, was was last year the outlier year with Aaron Rodgers, the fact that they brought in Jordan Love, and that kind of gave Rodgers the extra motivation to kind of have that last career type of year in Green Bay. And, and maybe that, that just died off after last season and, and you saw the offseason issues. Maybe that's going to linger with them, like you said. So I, I can see that, too. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely tough to, tough to swallow for people who are really high on Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers. I was very high on Aaron Jones. I'm not going to lose faith yet in fantasy. I think those guys could be by lows if people are looking to panic in season-long leagues. But, yeah, I, I agree that it's kind of hard to break that down and see. So um, other than that, I mean, are you – I know you said you got to dive deep a little more into it, but, you know, initial thoughts, like how far, you know, where did you add the Packers in your week one ratings and, and where do you think they're going to fall overall, just kind of ballparking it from here? I had them tied with Cleveland uh, for sixth overall, or I guess for fifth overall. And right now, just off the cuff, I, I knocked them down a, a point and a half and it probably is too much. 
uh, right now. Kind of like you said, an overreaction to it. Uh, but that was my initial re- reaction. I mean, I don't understand how you have the whole offseason to get ready to play for a game. You know who your opponent is, and you go out and do that. I mean, Jameis Winston is supposed to be a downgrade from Drew Brees, and granted, he didn't turn the ball over too much today. I'm not even sure specifically how many turnovers they had. Um, in fact, they had zero, no fumbles, no interceptions. You know, you're gonna if you get the turnover margin plus three, you're gonna win a majority of the games for sure. Uh, but that's not even the story. I mean, they lost by by five touchdowns. This wasn't even a contest. They were one for ten in three uh, third down conversion rate, which is horrendous. Uh, so. They're not that great. Now, New Orleans, I didn't move up pretty considerably here. Uh, and one of the reasons why I downgraded them so much going into week one was because of the fact of everything that was going on there. Um, you know, and we didn't know the quarterback situation, but Jameis Winston looked like he was ready uh, to fit the bill here. So I didn't move him up two points. We'll see what it ends up being. Um, frankly, right now, I, there had to be some kind of correction with this line. I, this, this, I can't throw it out completely, but I also, there's a lot of work done in the offseason that gets you set up for the power ratings right now. So if we move on from that, you know, it's not the prudent thing to do. So if we're yeah. just throwing away everything from the off season and just taking what we saw for, you know, 60 minutes in one game, that's ridiculous. So. Yeah. And, but, but conversely with the saints, cause the saints were a team that personally I bet the over on with the season win totals, because my thought was that, okay, Drew Brees is gone, gone. I, I get that the locker room effect, like that's not, that's not going to be there. The leadership he established over the years, but I feel like he built that culture up to where Sean Payton is still there. Jameis Winston learned under Breeze last year. Taysom Hill has learned under Breeze for a long time. If you want to just look at it skill-wise and talent-wise, like these guys are better quarterbacks than Drew Breeze was in the last year or two years. So if anything, this team got a, an upgrade at quarterback. And I know they're, they lost some guys on defense, but the culture is there. The head coach is there. The scheme is there. One of the best play call, callers in the league one of the best running backs in the league. And yeah, they don't have Michael Thomas, but I think Kamara there is sufficient enough to be able to have an explosive playmaker and playmaker on that side of the ball. So looking at the saints, I know a lot of sharp people were on the under that's why I disagree with a lot of sharps on that, but where do you look at the, at the saints in terms of, Hey, I don't want to overreact to this, but I do want to give credit where credits due. I think the one thing, and I want your opinion on this as well was, I think Jameis Winston, you know, he's not Drew Brees. He doesn't have that um, the culture that he brought with him, everything that he established. But there's something about Jameis Winston that Drew Brees didn't have. He can unlock an offense in a way I think that was uh, previously untapped by Drew Brees. He just didn't have the arm strength anymore to be able to push the ball down, you know, kind of buy time in the backfield. Jameis Winston's able to do that. And you see, you know, from a fantasy production, I mean, what he's able to put up on a weekly basis if he can stop turning the ball over. Jameis Winston was putting up numbers for years. He put up, he was led a good offense. The problem was the turnovers. The turnovers is more correlated to wins than actually the halftime score. So if you're winning at halftime, it's less correlated than if you win the turnover battle, which is insane. So I think, and I'm curious your point on that. Is that something that you're high on those skill receivers, you know, for the Saints? you know, even with the absence of Michael Thomas in that respect. Yeah, I, I would try to buy low on Marquez Calloway because he's a guy that had a lot of hype. He had a couple breakout games in the preseason, but he went up against one of the toughest shadow coverage cornerbacks in Jair Alexander today. I, you know, I was looking at a guy like Calloway when Sleepy and I did the Money Picks Player Pops podcast, and I was like, hey, like a wide receiver one, you know, with, on an offense that I trust with the play caller and the quarterback, a guy like Jameis Winston, like you said, he can unlock those receivers. I was like, a wide receiver one in an offense like that, their their receiving yards prop should not be lower than 50, but unless they happen to be facing one of those top 
defensive shutdown cornerbacks in the league like Jair. So I shied away away from that prop as well as I went through the week and kind of narrowed down my player prop hit list. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's my my thought overall with, with this is you can't take too much out of the box score with the Saints because they simply didn't really need to do that much. It reminds me of the game uh, middle to late last year when the Bucks and Saints played each other in a primetime game and the Saints just absolutely uh, – uh, smash the Bucks, and people were down on Tampa Bay, and, and that was kind of the turning point where Tampa Bay turned around their season. So can can uh, the Packers do the same thing? And, and and is that you know something you got to give a lot of credit to Sean Payton for the fact they're doing it with Winston, they're doing it with Taysom Hill, they're doing it with Drew Brees, no matter who's under center there. So I mean, when you look at the overall numbers, Jameis Winston, you know, fourteen completions, Aaron Rodgers had fifteen. You know, Aaron Rodgers had 133 yards, Winston 148. It's just that Winston had five TDs, no interceptions. Rodgers had zero TDs and two interceptions. So, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to take out El Camaro only got a couple catches, um, you know, things like that. Like, I don't know if I want to take too much out of that because the game script was so positive in New Orleans' favor. Uh, I would look to buy Marquez Callaway because I still think he could be the number one wide receiver in that offense overall. But enough about this game. Let's just kind of move on quick through the rest of the games here, because obviously that, that that was kind of one of the biggest surprises of the day. I'm sure you'll hear, you're, you'll hear uh, Sleepy Jay talk about it. You know, those are his Green Bay Packers, as he likes to say. So curious to see. I, I told Sleepy, I was like, I saw Aaron Rodgers on TV, and, like, he had some little, like, hair things coming out the back of his helmet. I'm like, I completely missed the memo on that Aaron Rodgers hairstyle. Like, if I would have known he was rocking that going into week one, I, I would have faded the Packers completely. <laughs> it's like seeing him clueless on the field. I'm like, dude, what? Like the mustache is one thing. Like you got, you got to get that hairstyle out of here, man. Right, Trevor Lawrence style. I think he's trying to get younger. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, you're right, man. That's celebrity status for Aaron Rodgers right there. But I'm going to stop at the top. Uh, start at the top of the board actually with uh, the Eagles at the Falcons. Philly won 32 to six at Atlanta. Uh, you know, for me, the biggest takeaways here. I'll make them real quick is that a lot of hype was around Boston Scott being a complimentary running back in this offense going into week one over the course of the offseason. Uh, but the new coaching regime there with Sirianni, they went out and they drafted Kenneth Gainwell, who almost profiled as a similar type of back to Boston Scott. And when you look at the numbers at the end of the day, this was a, one of my biggest surprises, just fantasy player prop-wise at the end, is that Boston Scott didn't have a single touch, and Gainwell wanted to play in a pretty big role. He had nine carries for 37 yards, scored a rushing touchdown, also had three targets in the passing game. And then Miles Sanders, his role was secured as an RB1. People talked about his drops all throughout the offseason, having drops in the preseason. Uh, He wound up having five targets and caught four, though. So he had 19 total touches in the game, 113 total yards. My biggest takeaway there would be by Miles Sanders. He didn't score a touchdown. So his numbers necessarily popped that much off the charts. But if he's getting a minimum four or five targets a game in a positive game script like they saw today – then I'm very bullish on that because when you have a running quarterback like Jalen Hurts, as you know, he can really unlock the running game and create holes in the offensive line that you typically don't get with a traditional type of pocket passer. And then obviously I'd be going to the, the waiver wire and, and making kind of, kind of game one of my top priority pickups of the week if I need some running back depth in my lineup there. But we'll talk about that later this week. We have a couple different waiver wire articles that are going to be coming out talking about pickups, talking about streamers, stashes, uh, things of that nature. Devonta Smith, the rookie man, like he looks like the locked in wide receiver one. He led the team with eight targets. Rager had six. Goddard had five. Um, I got burned, man. Like one of my favorite prop plays, Steve, was Quez Watkins over 23 and a half receiving yards. And he had 23 receiving yards at the end of the first quarter. And I was I was dancing. I was celebrating. He had three targets on Jalen Hurts' first four passes of the game halfway through the first quarter. Didn't see a single target the rest of the game. So I got burned on the hook at 23 when the line was 23 and a half. So I, 
I still feel like I won that prop. At least that's what I'm going to tell myself. But overall, what did you think about Philly's offensive showing for me? Jalen Hurts was one of the guys I was the most bullish on heading into the season. I had him ranked ahead of Lamar Jackson as the third quarterback overall in fantasy or the fourth quarterback behind the third, which is Kyler Murray. So that did not surprise me what Jalen Hurts came out and did today. And when you look at Jalen Hurts now, Steve, I know you bet his rushing prop this past week. I don't know if the books are going to move his rushing prop high enough when the lines come out this week for week two, because now in four full starts with Jalen Hurts, 106, 63, 69, 62, minimum seven rushing attempts per game, which was actually today, last year in his three full starts, he had a minimum of eight rushing attempts in every game. So I I still want to be bullish with the line because my guess is it probably comes out in maybe the low to mid 40s, high 40s at the most to start. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think part of it is, especially with Jalen Hurts, if you talk about rushing, he didn't need to rush at the end of the game. I mean, they they had a comfortable lead. Why put yourself at risk in that respect? And and certainly for the play calling as well. You know, from a fantasy fantasy perspective and from a prop perspective, I certainly would like to to hit up Jalen Hurts and stay with him. The problem, I wasn't ever a big fan of him coming into it from a gambling perspective. I didn't want to back Eagles. In fact, I think I have an under and a win total for him for a little bit too. Um, But ultimately, he's not a quarterback I'm very high on. So the fact that he had this kind of production today, which was 27 for uh, 35, 264 yards and three touchdowns, zero interceptions, uh, is pretty incredible. Not to mention the fact that he got those 62 rushing yards. Um, I I really don't know what to make of of this game. This is another one which kind of was uh, befuddling here. You know, Atlanta came right down. They had basically no huddle offense. They ran right down the field. Uh, then all of a sudden they huddled up Eagles were able to substitute and they had to settle for a field goal. They only got a three points for the rest of the game. So I don't really know if this is just an, an abominable performance from Atlanta in, in Atlanta. That's, that's pretty embarrassing right now versus the Eagles being dominant in this respect. Uh, the defense did show up today very well, but they were like middle of the pack last year. They have obviously a good front four. Um, it'll be interesting moving forward to see what these teams do against somebody else. You know, that's when you get more data points that you really can make a a determination here um, based on this right now. Obviously you have to be down on Atlanta. You have to be a little bit up on uh, the Eagles too. Um, I'm not telling something that you don't already know, but you know, this is something that I certainly did just real quickly looking at my power ratings. um, I I actually moved Philadelphia up two points. I had them three points worse than an average team. I now have them one uh, point worse than an average team. And for Atlanta, um, I actually dropped him down two points. And again, this may be overreaction for me. And certainly for the first two games, I don't think uh, there's that much overreaction moving forward, but these two certainly were that way. Yeah. I mean, Atlanta's offensive line, if Philly's going to have anything on defense, it's going to be through their defensive line and the pressure that they can put on opposing quarterbacks. And maybe if Darius Slay improves on what he did last year, they could at least have a halfway decent defense, which I think, I think they do have the tools to have a very explosive offense. When you look at what Jalen Hurts did in his last year at Oklahoma, people remember what he did at Alabama and he was benched there. Tua got the start over him. Then he wound up changing schools, but he had a great year to close out his career at Oklahoma where he really improved as a passer. And, and I feel like I was, I was impressed with him as a passer last year, even though his efficiency, his completion percentage wasn't all that great. I thought he moved the ball downfield pretty well overall. And, and obviously he's got a lot of young, good weapons, but Hey, if Rager takes a step forward, Rager can only go up from here. Devontae Smith, obviously, you know, eight targets in the game. He looks locked in there. And then you have the two tight ends and Miles Sanders. So I, I like what I'm seeing out of Philly for fantasy purposes. And uh, I wouldn't mind stacking in DFS when it comes to Jalen Hurts with Devontae Smith and maybe Jalen Rager, too. Because when you look at the strength of schedule for their wide receivers and passing game, the Eagles have the easiest strength of schedule 
for opposing secondaries and the entire NFL for the whole season. So this is an offense you want to be buying in on in fantasy uh, with the Falcons to me. Like I want to sell, I want to sell on Mike Davis while I can, I, I don't want to wait too long because when you look at overall, okay, Davis had 15 carries in the game. Cordero Patterson worked in a complimentary role, had seven carries, but Patterson had more rushing yards than Davis. Patterson looked more explosive than Davis. When you look at overall the touches, Cordero Patterson had 19, had nine touches for 67 yards. Davis had 21 touches for 72 yards. So basically Davis had more than double the touches of Patterson and barely had more yardage than him. It's going to come down to efficiency at the end of the day. And I think they don't need a plotting type of big bodied running back in the backfield. They need someone that can get out in space. And Patterson seems to fit that bill more than Davis does. And Davis is a guy that's never held down to a starting job in his entire career, but people were drafting him as such this year after we, after what he did filling in for CMC last year. So for me, I'm adding Cordero Patterson off the waivers. I'm selling on Mike Davis as I can to a, a, a team that needs a running back. They're going to look, Hey, this guy's getting 15 plus carries a game. You know, they still believe in the Falcons offense as a whole, but I don't buy it. I think he could easily get replaced as a starter in that offense. And uh, just overall, I mean, you're, you're disappointed in Ridley. You're disappointed in Pitts. Uh, I don't want to panic on those guys. They each had eight targets to leave the, t- uh, to lead the team overall. So you know, other than that, um, that's kind of my main takeaways there. Moving on to the next game, Pittsburgh at Buffalo. Uh, you know, this is the game Pittsburgh won and went and won on the road. And their defense looked really good to me. I, I'm interested to see where you're moving your power ratings with them. Because this is another team for me that I felt like a lot of sharps were on the under for the Steelers. I bet the over early in the season for the Pittsburgh Steelers when I put out my season win totals on Twitter. And to me, it was just, again, like, the coaching staff, the culture is there. I mean, they, they started the year, what, like almost 12-0 and 0 last year. And I know that they the offense looked really bad at times. And their offense didn't even look great today for a lot of stretches of that game. But uh, it looks like the same offense. Big Ben is still throwing at an extremely low A dot, 5.9 yards per attempt. Uh, he, Deontay Johnson, again, led the team in targets. Juju was number two. Uh, Chase Claypool, for me, is a buy low because Chase Claypool had five targets in the game. He made a ridiculous catch down the right sideline. I think I think somewhere in the second or third quarter, one of the most impressive catches I've seen in a long time. Again, just like I mentioned in the last game, in the first game with uh, Marquez Callaway getting shadowed by Jair Alexander, Claypool was being shadowed by mo- for most of this game by Tre'Davious White. So I don't want to lose faith in Claypool. I still have him ranked as a top twenty-five wide receiver in fantasy moving forward, and I would still bet on Claypool to finish the year with the most fantasy points in that offense, very close to Deontay Johnson. So um, that's kind of my takeaways overall. It looks like the Steelers O-line, they're struggling just like they did last year. Najee Harris, as talented as he might be, uh, 16 carries, 45 yards, one catch for four yards on three targets. So it seems like the same old, same old with the running back situation situation in Pittsburgh. Uh, but but they got it done with their defense. And, and the defense is what impressed me the most, sacking Josh Allen three times. And keeping him, 51 pass attempts, 5.3 yards per attempt. I was impressed with Pittsburgh there. What are your overall takeaways and your power ratings? Because I know, you know, I'd be surprised you're going to say, hey, I'm going to move the Pittsburgh Steelers out of Buffalo. But, you know, they they obviously went and won at Buffalo in this game. So I'd be interested to see, you know, how that's going to affect your power ratings and overall betting thoughts moving forward with these two teams in the AFC. Well, tale of two halves, right? I mean, Buffalo dominated the first half. It was 10-0. Pittsburgh could do nothing. You know, Ben Roethlisberger comes back out in the second half and he's rejuvenated. I, it's It was unbelievable. Uh, it, it was like the roles flipped. So for me, you know, I, I actually just downgraded Buffalo a half a point. Uh, I still think they're one of the premier teams in the NFL. I have them at uh, four and a half points better than a an average team. Pittsburgh, I didn't move up to one and a half. 
Uh, but again, that first half scares me. Uh, and when you talk about the run game, like you mentioned, he, uh, you know, Najee Harris played 55 snaps in this game. Pittsburgh on offense played 55 snaps. He played every snap. His production was very low, like you mentioned. Um, but I did play over his rushing attempts at 14 and a half. He obviously had 16. And there's no one else. That was really the handicap. There's nobody else that they trust running the ball except for Chase Claypool, who had an end around for 25 yards. Uh, yeah. But ultimately, you know, there's no one else to get the ball there. So I'm looking to pound that uh, the over rushing attempts. And I think in a game that is a little bit more consistent throughout and not being down by so many points to start the game, and certainly for that second half, I think Najee Harris is going to get a lot more carries uh, in, in games, especially if they have are favored. Uh, and I believe this upcoming week they are yeah. favored. They are, yeah. I, I would be looking to hit that line early this week when the lines drop. So we're going to be staying tuned for that. And, and just to let pe- people know about our NFL in-season package that we launched, that we launched this year, uh, we're going to be giving out best bet player props in our private Discord channel. So myself, Steve, Sleepy J, uh, the set, the second we make bets, whether it's a teaser bet, player prop bet, etc., we're going to be dropping that instantly inside the Discord. So make sure you're signed up to our NFL in-season package if you still want our early bird rate. You, you can get it through t- uh, tomorrow night through the Monday night football game. Just shoot me a DM on Twitter and we could hook it up there. But overall with that, yeah, I mean, just, just for me with, with uh, the Steelers, I'm, I'm with you there because, because the Raiders go travel to Pittsburgh next week and Najee Harris, I mean, he's, he's a, I, I could easily see him getting 20 plus carries in that game. And my guess would be the line maybe opens up at, I don't know, 16 and a half. I'd be surprised to see it open up any higher than that. I'd probably still bet that. I think that'd be a solid bet there as well. Uh, moving on to Minnesota at Cincinnati, uh, you know, you see me rocking the Bengals jersey. You know, I'm a beloved Bungles fan here. I thought Joe Burrow looked really good, man. But the the one thing that impressed me the most was Jamar Chase, the rookie. Like people, and that that's the thing. Like people get the narratives twisted in the offseason. People were so low on Jamar Chase because of the drop. He had a couple high profile drops. You know, we saw players last year, just like Jerry Judy and Deontay Johnson, get bashed in the media, the media narratives, the public narratives, just because they have drops on primetime television. And you see that you know, kind of, uh, you know, you know, misconstrue like the real value of these guys, whether it's in fantasy DFS, the player prop, mar- uh, player prop market, et cetera. But for me, like, you know, if, if Jamar Chase is going to play at that level and he can be the one, a one B with T Higgins with Tyler Boyd in the slot, uh, this defense, I think isn't as bad as people thought going into the year. Uh, I think that they can compete with some people. So I- I'm very, I'm very confident what I saw in the Bengals today, as long as Burrow, stays healthy and when you're looking at Jamar Chase I I think the explosiveness he showed you know seven targets to lead the team T Higgins had five targets five catches for 101 yards had the long touchdown of 50 yards so I I was very impressed with Chase overall and I think this is a team we want to be buying more often than not the Vikings you know defense made a lot of improvements over the offseason so I don't want to be too down on them so if the Bengals are able, able to do what they did today against a, you know, halfway decent defense like the Vikings. I, I think they can be quite pretty competitive uh, competitive in games they have coming up. Next week, they're at Chicago. Two weeks from now, they host the Jaguars, then the Packers, and the Lions. So they do have some decent matchups there where I will be looking to play overs on Jamar Chase and T. Higgins as those explosive threats on the outside. So that's my thought on my Bengals there. Uh, and then with the Vikings overall, I mean, not really anything that stood out to me that really jumps off the page. Uh, you know, Justin Jefferson didn't have the day that a lot of people thought he might, you know, a decent day, five catches, 71 yards. Adam Thielen surprised me, nine targets, uh, nine receptions, 92 yards on 10 targets. Uh, he didn't get that type of volume very consistently last year. So if he's going to be right up there in terms of the pecking order with targets with Justin Jefferson, 
uh, then you really got value on him moving forward as well. So I was looking at his under for this week. I'm not going to lie. I didn't make it an official bet. I didn't bet it myself, but I was surprised to see him get that type of volume in this game. Um, and, and just with the Vikings overall, I mean, I, I think the, those are pretty much the only two guys you want to attack, obviously, with Dalvin Cook in the backfield. But any, any thoughts on this game, or is it kind of what you expected to see for the most part? I was carrying a Minnesota uh, ticket minus three, so it was certainly not what I was expecting. Okay. Uh, the whole offseason, you, you heard about Minnesota and uh, the infighting, right, with the coaching staff and not getting along with players and trying to get them vaccinated, and there was contention there. Um, and I think it materialized in the game. And I don't know if it's correlated to that. Is that the cause of it? Or is it just circumstance? Is it just one game that we can throw it away? But I, I looked at the yards per play. The two teams were identical. Both converted two first downs. Minnesota had the ball for 18 more seconds. I, I think the yard disparity, total yardage was like 50 difference. And I, I'm thinking to myself, what in the world happened here? You know, what was the difference in the game? And it was very apparent looking at it. The difference in the game is that Minnesota had 12 penalties for 116 yards, and they lost a turnover battle by one. Conversely, Cincinnati only had three penalties for 15 yards. So yeah. it's very, very difficult to overcome those kind of things. And honestly, Minnesota probably should have won the game in overtime. I mean, you yeah. know, Cincinnati fan over there, like, I, you're happy that you got the win, but you almost feel relieved and lucky. Yeah, we snuck that one out. Yeah, we yeah. snuck that one out for sure. Now, granted, there was a long field goal to end regulation that I think was also a little bit of lucky there. You know, was it 53 yards or something like that to push it to overtime? Uh, it was a great game to watch. Obviously, I was upset in the ending of it. I did uh, boost uh, Cincinnati mainly because I thought Burrow looked healthy. Um, he, he looked great. I was never overly concerned about Chase, who was five for 101 yards. Um, I thought he played fantastic. You know, you don't forget how to catch the ball as a receiver. If you have a bad day, that's understandable. Um, so I'm not concerned about that. I'm excited about Cincinnati. I, I bumped uh, Minnesota down a half a point after this game. Yeah, no, I hear you on that one. And yeah, I mean, Jamar Chase, the guy where, you know, if you want to, I don't know if you, you never kind of want to buy high in terms of season long fantasy football trades, but maybe the, a guy that left Jamar Chase on his bench, he already has starting receivers and you need an explosive guy. I think that Jamar Chase can do this week in and week out. And He's the type of guy that profiled very similarly to how Justin Jefferson profiled coming out of college last year. Uh, some people say he's the best wide receiver target athletically to come out uh, as a collegiate prospect in like the last 10 years, like since Megatron, like guys like that. So uh, this is the type of guy where even though he had a really good game today, you might want to consider going out and trying to buy him still because the price just might continue to rise after these, after this, especially with those easy games coming up that I mentioned in the next month of the season for the Bengals. But moving on from that, and uh, – oh, real quick, Steve, like, uh, pop quiz. Like, do you know what jer – who, who am I wearing right now, man? Test your football knowledge here. What number uh, you got there? Number 80. Number 80 on the Bengals. First off, did the Bengals have any professional players the last, like, 10 years? Uh, Andy Dalton. I don't know. Have you been good at that? <laughs> I don't know. Who, who is it? Uh, Peter Warwick. Oh, I would not have gotten that from uh, FSU, correct? That's right. He actually uh, played high school right down the street from me here in Bradenton at uh, Southeast High School. So, yeah, Peter Ward. I was telling Sleepy, like 2003, we had John Kidna at quarterback. The Chiefs came into town. They were 9-0 and with Dick Vermeil, Trent Green, and Tony Gonzalez. And Chad Johnson came out and guaranteed a win, and they went out and beat the Chiefs that week and ended their 9-0 and undefeated season. Wow. So. I was, so I was reliving my glory days by putting this jersey on, man. That was your Super Bowl right there. That, that was my that, – yeah, that's a that's a very sad Super Bowl to have as an NFL fan. But you know what? I'm proud of it. So, anyways, uh, moving on to the next game here. We'll go through these real quick. 49ers at the Lions. I mean, 
you know, if you're just looking at the box score, I think it tells a different story. The, the Niners had this game in the bag. They just kind of fell asleep at the wheel there. And I don't, I mean, the, the, the Lions would have needed to recover like three straight onside's kick to even like force the game to go into overtime. So uh, for me, I mean, Raheem Mostert's the story, like, you know, how long is he going to be out for? You know, he, he got hurt on, he had two carries in the game, wound up getting hurt, not coming back in. Did they need him to come back in? Could he have come back in? I think we'll learn that over the next, over the next couple of days. Uh, I couldn't believe personally that Trey Sermon was a healthy scratch for this game. I had Trey Sermon ranked inside my top 15. I had Trey Sermon ranked as my 15th ranked running back. And Raheem Mostert ranked as my 10th running back this week because the Lions has have one of the worst def- uh, run defenses in the entire NFL. And Elijah Mitchell comes out of nowhere, 19 carries for 104 yards and a touchdown. That's why I had Sermon and Mostert ranked that high because of that upside with the 49ers running scheme against that type of defense. So whoever's getting the start at running back, like go at Elijah Mitchell now, because I don't know what's going on with Trey Sermon. They had no reports at a training camp that he was struggling with anything, that the coaching staff was down on him. So the fact he was a healthy scratch, is there something going on behind the scenes we don't know about? Like, I have no idea. I'd like to find out because I spent a lot of money in my dynasty auction league getting Trey Sermon this past offseason. And now he's on my IR spot. So I have no idea what's going on with that. But add Elijah Mitchell, maybe even as a depth spot, you want to add a guy like Jermichael Hasty, even though it doesn't seem the coaching staff's very high on him, giving Elijah Mitchell 19 carries to just one carry for Jermichael Hasty. So other than that, I mean, uh, Brandon Ayuk is clearly struggling with an injury. Like people were asking, was he even on the field this week? Like he had zero targets in the game. Debo Samuel, 12 targets, nine catches, 189 yards. Like, I think it was the opposite last year. Debo Samuel was struggling with injuries all season long and, and the stock dropped really far on him. And, and I'll have to admit, I wasn't buying either of these guys in fantasy football drafts this offseason because I'm looking at a rookie quarterback coming in soon in Trey Lance that is going to struggle to probably support more than one consistent fantasy pass catcher, which I believe will be George Kittle, who had a pretty, pretty solid game himself, four catches for 78 yards. But other than that, there's not too many takeaways I have. Uh, DeAndre Swift, man, he looked like a beast with the ball in his hands, especially in the receiving game. He led the team with 11 targets, eight catches for 65 yards. Uh, that was a prop I was looking to play, but I backed off because I was afraid of Dan Campbell and the comments they had been making all offseason about easing DeAndre Swift into the offense. But uh, given the negative game scripts coming up all year for the Lions, given Goff's tendencies to check down, he used to give Todd Gurley 10-plus targets on a consistent basis back when they were with the Rams together. So DeAndre Swift profiles as even more of a pass catching back than Gurley did back then. Uh, I don't think the receiving line for Swift is going to come out high enough, and I, I would still look to play that probably at least over 25 or 30 because I'm going to expect I'm going to expect game scripts like this almost every single week for Detroit. So Swift, when he's got the ball in his hands and he's moving downfield, like he looks like a scary guy to tackle. And I think they're going to look to get him out in space. The fact he had 11 targets, Hawkinson had 10. Uh, it's going to be those guys soaking up like 80% of the offense. And, and I love betting on guys like that in player props because you know you can trust the, the, the you know, targeted concentration you know, of volume uh, in that passing game. So that's, that's my main takeaway over there is being more bullish on Swift and Hawkinson when it comes to receptions and receiving yard props. What, what are your thoughts on this game? I do like that Swift spot too, especially for next week. They're actually in Green Bay after the Green Bay got just killed this week. So you know they're going to bring it next week. It's a Monday night game at home for Green Bay. So they're going to be trailing a lot. So I think DeAndre Swift will get a lot of looks in that respect. So I certainly would be looking for his overs, especially in the receiving game in that respect. Um, this game, 
I'm very curious to see if the public looks at this score and they go, wow, Detroit played really well. They put up 33 points. Look how much, how great they are on offense. Um, they only lost to eight to San Francisco. Um, but, you know, San Fran still covered the early number. Uh, you know, if you look at yards per play, they outperformed them by uh, 2.9 yards per play. Um, it, there's This is a disparity that uh, is hidden by the, the, the final score here. So I'm not impressed by uh, Detroit. They are who I thought they were. Um, as far as San Francisco goes, I actually knocked him down a half a point, not because of what the, the game, but because of Mostert. I think that he is uh, that valuable. It, maybe it should even be a little bit more than that. Um, and frankly, I don't really give too much credence to the fact that they dominated Detroit. This is the expectation, um, even if though they only won by eight points. So for me, moving forward, I'm not overly concerned about San Francisco besides that cluster injury with uh, the running back situation and Detroit, you know, they are what they are. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that for the most part. And and the question is, like, when will Trey Lance become the starter in San Francisco? I mean, he came in, he's being used yeah. in certain packages at the goal line. So, uh, um, you know, we'll see how long can Jimmy G hold up before he gets hurt himself. You know, we'll see about that. But obviously, I don't – that's, a. I guess, my last question for you on this game before we move on to the Cardinals and Titans would be, like, what happens if if Trey Lance is announced the starter? Like, how, does, does that affect your power ratings whatsoever, move up and down, or do you just got to wait and see what happens with that type of thing? If it's early in the year, I'd be moving it at least a point. Okay. Uh, you know, if it's later in the year and Trey Lance has more time to get acclimated, learn the offense. Um, you know, listen, Garoppolo is not great, but he's been around. He knows uh, what to do. He put up 314 yards today, you know, on only 17 completions. Um, obviously, the, the fan base is going to be clamoring for Trey Lance because he threw a touchdown. I mean, I was watching Red Zone, and all of a sudden, I see Trey Lance in the game throwing a touchdown. I thought something happened to Jimmy G already. I expected it's going to happen throughout the year, but not this early. Um, it'll be interesting to see how often they use him. And if they use him in situations like this and he has success, if the fan base is going to be pushing for him, does that put pressure on Jimmy G in that respect? And he kind of sees what Tom Brady maybe felt back in New England back in the day. Um, I, I would move him down certainly a point, uh, maybe a point and a half. Yeah, gotcha. With the Cardinals and the Titans, this was a game that a lot of people I knew on were on the over for this game. Uh, Arizona didn't disappoint. Yeah, they put up 38 points on the board, but man, the Titans looked bad. Uh, I don't know if it was the offensive line. It was Tannehill waiting too long to find his receivers down the field. I think uh, halftime, uh, Chester Rogers was leading the team in targets. He was tied with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones with three targets apiece. Tannehill didn't seem on the same page with Julio Jones whatsoever. And it's like, it's like, man, like Arthur Smith, dude, like what Arthur Smith, dude, what the hell? You ruined everything. Like you, if you would have stayed in Tennessee, Tennessee, the offense would still be efficient there. And then Julio Jones could have stayed in Atlanta and Matt Ryan could have been more efficient. And now we're getting an inefficient Falcons offense with no Julio Jones. And we're getting an inefficient Titans offense with no Arthur Smith. So that move from Arthur Smith to, to Atlanta from Tennessee and vice versa from Julio from Atlanta to Tennessee. I mean, that, that just, to me, that messed up everything. Fantasy DFS. Uh, I don't know if I'm overreacting to that, but uh, they need to feed the ball to AJ Brown more because when you when you target him, he's a guy that needs to have ten plus targets a game. And I was disappointed to not see that, especially in a game when they were trailing. You know, they they lost by twenty five points and were trailing really big uh, throughout the game there. So Tannehill, he just looked hesitant on a lot of his throws. They couldn't establish any type of run game because they got behind down way too early. AJ Brown finishes with eight targets. Julio Jones finishes with six, but less than fifty yards receiving. I, I was on the overs. Uh, for both these guys. And I thought the handicap was strong in that regard. I, I just didn't expect Arizona's defensive line and, and uh, Cox to come out and dominate 
that the way that they did. So that that really impressed me. Like, is their defense legit? Because if their defense can play like that uh, with the offense that they have, uh, that's a team that could contend for not just a division title, but maybe even a push for the NFC Championship. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but what are your thoughts uh, upgrading uh, Arizona, downgrading Tennessee? What are your overall thoughts on that game, Steve? I did upgrade Arizona one and a half points. I, I do think that it may be a little bit too much. That's something I'm going to have to look into, dive in a little bit more. Um, Arizona did play well. They 6.2 yards per play. Uh, Tennessee, I, Tennessee was an enigma here. I mean, I don't understand how they could play so poorly. They had 3.9 yards per play, which is insane to me. Uh, they allowed Arizona to convert over half their third downs. Arizona had plus two in turnovers. Um, you know, but even if you take that away, even if you, you take away the plus two in turnovers, it doesn't change the outcome of the game. Um, as good as Murray looked, I thought Tannehill looked terrible. You know, one of the things that we talked about in the beginning of the year was Julio Jones. And, you know, he's he's a name and he's somebody that was incredible for years. Uh, injuries have derailed him of, of late. And, you know, Tennessee gets in and people bought Tennessee overs because of it. You know, he's not I don't even think he's affecting the 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 game more than, uh, you know, half a point at best case scenario. It's probably closer to a quarter of a point uh, for his skill set right now. So he's not somebody that moves the needle for me. Um, I do think that he can play better than he did right now. And I expected him to play better. Uh, in fact, I, as you were talking, I, I checked my sheet. I had over uh, 51 and a half and I thought it hit because they had so many points in the third quarter, not realizing that literally no one scored in the fourth. So it was a big blow to my um, overall day there. I was pretty excited about. Um, but otherwise, you know, Arizona played better than expected. They went to Tennessee on the road and just dominated. It wasn't even close. So for that, I, they obviously need that. They need a bump for sure. Yeah. Yeah, one of my best bet props it was the first one I gave to our subscribers earlier in the week was Rondale Moore over two and a half catches. I, I thought that was just a get, gimme bet auto play for me. Started a little slow, wound up with four catches for 68 yards. So that impressed me, the fact that I thought he'd be a guy that wind up with like four or five catches for maybe 20 yards. But they were actually targeting him downfield. This wasn't the same type of horizontal air raid attack that we saw last year. I, I was impressed by the way they were pushing the ball vertically. And if Kyler Murray can do that successfully with guys like, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, Rondell Moore, this offense is going to be vastly improved from what it was last season. Uh, and then AJ Green, man, like stop targeting this guy, like six targets, two catches. Like he is the most <laughs> inefficient receiver. Uh, this is the same thing he did last year. And the offenses are worse off for targeting him. I, it's, it's just off his name alone. I'm sick. Of, I'm sick of it, man. Christian Kirk's a young guy who has upside, like, he scored a touchdown today. He looked good. So keep the three wide receiver sets, the Hopkins, Kirk, uh, and um, and Rondell Moore. And Green, I was looking at his under for receiving, but I wasn't sure about the volume he would get. So he got the volume, and I was like, okay, well, maybe I overreacted last year to how bad he was. But he's just too old. He's had too many injuries now past his prime. I will be looking to attack A.J. Green's unders. Uh, I already regret not doing it this past week, but I wanted to be a little patient on it. But if he gets six targets in a game where they scored 38 points and Kyler Murray throws it around the way he did with 32 passing attempts, I'm going to be looking forward to betting his under again because I'm guessing it's going to be probably lined pretty similar to what it was this week. I think it was around 38 and a half. Uh, I'd probably play that down to at least 35 and a half because I just think the efficiency this guy's going to have, like he can't separate, he can't get open, and his one-on-one you know, catch rates are, are, are ranked among the bottom of the league. So that's definitely an under I'm going to be looking to attack for player props next week. Um, Moving on uh, to the next game, because, I mean, other than that, like Tennessee, the whole offense around, like everyone kind of disappointed in that regard. Uh, Seahawks and Colts, like this is another game for me where the Seahawks, they look good, but 
DK Metcalf didn't have a single target in the first half. Lockett did everything, man. And, and I think that's going to be an issue you're going to see all season long where teams are going to scheme DK Metcalf away because he's just that talented. And a guy like Lockett, little tiny slot receiver, like he's a very savvy route runner. He's a very, you know, he has a solid football IQ. Like he knows how to get open. He's fast enough to burn guys down the field. Uh, you know, my best guess is he's going to lead the team in receiving yards and fantasy points by the end of the year, because Russell Wilson's not going to force it. He's a, he's the type of guy he's not going to force it into DK Metcalf's hand. So he wind up giving uh, DK Metcalf a decent amount of volume in the second half and him and Lockett each finished with five targets, but Lockett had a hundred yards on four catches. DK had 60 yards on four catches, Lockett with the two touchdowns. So I think you're going to see that pretty much all season, those guys neck and neck, but defenses are, are going to be smarter to scheme Metcalf away in terms of their game plan. And that's going to leave Lockett to, to be the, actually the more ceiling when it comes to DFS season long fantasy leaves, uh, et cetera. I think we'll have more ceiling weeks than not compared to last season when he was kind of banged up at the end of the year. But uh, any thoughts on that for you with the Colts, how Carson Wentz looked uh, Seahawks overall, I thought the Seahawks defense was very impressive to me. Uh, they were actually very good in the second half of last year. Their run defense is very good. Their pass defense has improved. Uh, if their defense can play the way it did today and Russell Wilson can do his thing, uh, this is a team that's going to be right up there to me at the end in the NFC race as well. Yeah, I coming into the game, I was really concerned about the health of Indianapolis, which is why I was pushing Seattle uh, early and often. Uh, towards the end, I bought back on some plus three just because it looked like they got a little healthier in that respect. But, uh, no, Wentz didn't look that bad. He, had, he was 25 to 38, 251 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, I think this is fantastic, by the way. If you want to know the difference between QBR and QB rating, in this game, Carson Wentz had a QB rating of 102. His QBR was 26.5. So the measure of the disparity, they say that QBR is, is more relative, uh, more a, a better predictor, uh, I guess a better explanation of how a quarterback performs. And certainly from that metric, he did not perform that well, despite his numbers. Um, but ultimately, uh, Indianapolis, I, I actually didn't move despite the fact that they lost at home by as much as they did. Um, and that has to do with them getting more healthy, you know, getting the line back uh, ready to roll, um, having a, a full week of practice underneath them. I think that they actually are going to improve off of this loss. So I did not downgrade them at all. For Seattle, I did upgrade them by half a, uh, a, half a point so far. Um, they're up to three and a half over the average. Uh, Russell Wilson's fantastic. The guy can run the ball. He can scramble. Uh, he's accurate down the field. His deep ball is tremendous. The weapons he has, they know how to use them. Um, you know, you take away Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf goes off. Um, you know, right. if you they the total yards, um, third down conversions, that was a, the big difference, I guess, in the game, really. It was that Indianapolis was over for three on fourth down conversions. If they were able to accomplish any of that, maybe there was a little, little bit uh, better chance to win the game. But ultimately, uh, Seattle had them. I'm not overly surprised by it, but this is kind of the expectation for this game. And moving forward, I'm not moving much of my power ratings based on that. Yeah, I would agree with you on there. Wentz didn't really, when I saw him in stretches, and I'm watching red zone for most of the day, but, you know, the Seattle defense seemed to be getting after him, and he didn't seem very mobile back there. I know he made he made some solid throws, but the thing that I want to keep in mind with Carson Wentz, uh, looking at how he targeted his pass catchers in the offense, Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor were the top two guys in targets for Indianapolis. Naheem Hines had eight targets, six catches. Jonathan Taylor, seven targets six catches the next closest was Zach Pascal with five targets and then a, a guy that people were very high on going into this year and this week second year receiver Michael Pittman just four targets a very disappointing day for him um 
if Carson Wentz going to be like that and next week the Colts play the Rams defense, which I think is obviously even better than Seattle, uh, I might be looking to play the overs on those guys because they might not be adjusted high enough. Maybe we'll see a similar type of situation last year where we, we won a lot of prop bets betting the overs for the two Washington running backs in Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. So I've got my eye on that for this week in terms of maybe like a double dip prop where we're betting Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor both over receptions and receiving yards right out the gate because again like you saw what he did in this type of matchup I think he's going to be pressed even check down even more against the front like the like the Los Angeles Rams Rams have with Aaron Donald rushing the passer so that's what I've got my eye on for props in that game Uh, moving on to the next game on the list here Chargers at Washington 20 to 16 the Chargers won obviously the big news here you can let me know like just overall process like what do you do in a situation where the starting quarterback gets ruled out but in this situation you didn't even get a chance to evaluate how Ryan Fitzpatrick was or what he meant to the point spread or the power ratings for Washington he goes down so early then Taylor Heineke comes in you know Heineke looked decent 11 for 15 122 yards but this was a very low volume game for both offenses as a whole Uh, Gibson had 20 carries for 90 yards um I know a lot of people out there, some sharp prop guys were on Gibson over rushing attempts. And I, I think that was a sharp move, uh, something that all I'm going to be looking to get on myself more in the future now that I see, okay, they're committing to this guy in the backfield. So I liked what I saw from Gibson just in terms of his volume alone. And the fact that Gibson actually led the team with five targets and had three catches overall while McKissick just had one target in the game. And this is the game that they lost. So I think that the coaching staff is finally starting to move away from what they did last year with J.D. McKissick to where I don't know if I'm going to go out and bet Gibson over receiving props just yet. I mean, obviously this guy's a talented, he played receiver in college, was converted to running back, but uh, this guy could be the most athletically talented running back in the league, just from a raw athletic type of profile. And if he starts to get worked more in the passing game like that, like it's going to be all systems go. He's going to, he's going to finish the year easily as a top five running back in fantasy, but that's my overall thoughts for Washington there. I'd like to know what you think about going from, from Fitzpatrick to Heineke. And then from Los Angeles' side, uh, everything seemed kind of normal to me, except the fact that Mike Williams, a lot of people talked about him having a breakout year this year. Like, if he's going to have one, he's already off to a great start because Keenan Allen had 13 targets. Mike Williams had 12. Keenan Allen, nine catches, 100 yards. Mike Williams, eight catches, 82 yards. Uh, Jared Cook looked impressive as a starting tight end there. I thought he'd split more time with Donald Parham, but Cook had eight targets overall. Parham just had one target, so – Cook looks looked uh, entrenched and good chemistry with Justin Herbert early on in the year against a very tough defense. So if that's going to be the targeted type of concentration of volume we have in this offense, and they were, they were able to produce against a top five level of defense in Washington, even Jalen Guyton had five targets in this game. So I'm very confident in being bullish on Allen, on Mike Williams, uh, and on Jared Cook, where those three guys those three guys could be the leading receivers week in and week out. So you want to go and buy into those buy into those guys when it comes to DFS, stacking guys in DFS, uh, you know, buying the overs on player props and the lines drop early in the week. So that's my overall thoughts on the Chargers. Uh, other than that, Eckler looked pretty good. He came out healthy. I was happy to see that, even though he wasn't involved in the passing game whatsoever. I think that just might have been, might have been more of a product of trying to keep him fresh and not get him banged up, getting out, getting out in space. So I expect them to use Eckler more in the passing game uh, moving forward, I don't want to take too much out of that. What are your overall thoughts on the Chargers getting this, uh, you know, pretty impressive road win? And then how are you adjusting uh, with the Chargers? And then on the flip side with the new quarterback in Washington? 
you know, the money came in on Washington as the week uh, progressed. Uh, they actually ended up, I think, uh, kicking off at favorite. Uh, but this really comes down to fits. I mean, it's tough to judge specifically about if they lived up to expectation because Fitz got hurt, the game plan went out the window. Uh, I ended up moving their power ratings down three points. I'm going to evaluate that as time progresses here to see if I want to do more or less in that respect. But um, it Fitz changed everything. I mean, honestly, it, uh, the guy's a warrior. He, he does no problem lowering his head. The guy's old as anything. He should be retired at this point. And he just seems to go to different places. He loses the starting job. He comes back and, and then he, he wins the starting job and, I feel bad for the guy. He's he's a decent quarterback that just can't stay healthy and he can't hold on to that starting job. Um, and I, I know some of that um, plays for the Dolphins just says how great of a guy he is. So to see him hurt again is really rough. Uh, Heineke played okay. He was 11 to 15, you know, percentage wise. That's fantastic. Only 122 yards and a touchdown. Um, the total plays between the two teams was ridiculous. Uh, Chargers had 78 total plays. Washington only had 49. The yards per play were almost identical, but this came down to third down efficiency. Uh, the Chargers, 74% getting third down, converting a third down. Washington was only 30. That's the difference in the game right there. It's over. So they couldn't get off the field. So I, Washington's a really good defense. And, uh, you know, Herbert put up 337 yards, got the win, only yeah. put up 20 points. Um, it'll be interesting. I almost think that Washington's going to be even more conservative and rely on that defense, try to run the ball, hold on to that, get the time of possession up um, moving forward, just because they don't want to run Heineke out there and have them, you know, play from behind. Cause I don't think that's uh, a place they can be successful. Yeah. And that worries me for a guy like Terry McLaurin. Now, you know, even Logan Thomas, at tight end guys we're relying on to be starters in this offense. You're going to see the pace go even slower. I agree with you. You're going to see more, you know, ground and pound with Antonio Gibson back there. Uh, and just rely on the defense and rely on the running game and, you know, let Heineke kind of kind of manage the offense, even though he can get out and scramble a little bit, but he's not proven as that passer yet. So I agree with you on that one. Uh, so I, I would be a little concerned if I had McLaurin in that regard where maybe I'm looking to sell him. I don't want to overreact, but he might be able to be sold at a decent price uh, just from his name value alone and what he did last year. And that might be a situation to try to get out of if, if you own any of the Washington pass catchers in fantasy, obviously besides Antonio Gibson and look man if, if, if Justin Herbert did this on the road at Washington what's he going to do at home against the Cowboys next week Steve I mean that that's going to be a game where we definitely got to look to attack because I think the Chargers are going to throw the ball all over the field against that Cowboys defense yep for sure yeah. and I don't yeah. even know if there's anybody that they can slow down I mean that they're he's going to be slinging he might put up 500 yards passing next week I mean would you be surprised I mean, by they, that? Yeah. the next the next four games Chargers, Cowboys, they play the Cowboys, the Chiefs, the Raiders, and the Browns. So, I mean, that could be four shootouts right there before they play the Ravens and the Patriots. So, uh, big things from Herbert, I think, over the next month of the season. I'm going to be looking to definitely have some stacks in there in DFS with stacking Herbert with Mike Williams uh, and Keenan Allen. And then next week, maybe bringing it back with two Cowboys guys and Cooper and Lamb now that Gallup's out for quite a while. So, I will be looking to attack that in DFS definitely next weekend. Um, moving on to the next game from week one here, as we move down the list, we got a couple games left. Uh, you know, I don't know if how much you want to take out of the, I think it's the, what is it? The Patriots? No, uh, the, the Jets and the Panthers, uh, Panthers won this game, eked out a really kind of ugly win 19 to 14 at home. Uh, I'll tell you what, man, neither of these quarterbacks impressed me. I know people are going to talk about Sam Darnold looking good, but I mean, he did, he, he played okay. You know, he only scored 19 points against a, a pretty bad Jets defense. So I don't want to take too much away, except for the fact that. McCaffrey's the man like you know 21 carries led the team with nine targets 
had a total combined uh, 187 total yards from scrimmage. I mean, as long as this guy stays healthy, you know, he's going to be the number one back in fantasy and, and you got, and you got him at that price for a reason this season. So you're going to be very happy in terms of what you saw out of him. Uh, they didn't even have a running uh, backup running back at a single touch uh, in this game in the rushing department. Chuba, uh, Chuba Hubbard came in uh, and had uh, two targets and two catches in the passing game, but no one got a rushing attempt outside of DJ Moore in a sweep and Sam Darnold with a couple scrambles himself. So CMC's locked in as the man there. Um, you know, the, the pecking order in terms of targets, I was actually surprised to see Robbie Anderson only come away with this game with uh, three targets because him and Darnold do have that connection from the New York days. And then Anderson has that connection with the coaching staff as well, dating back to his college years and dating back to his previous stops in the NFL too. Uh, DJ Moore looked good. Eight targets, six catches, 80 yards. If they're using DJ Moore all over the field in the slot, intermediate routes, he's going to be a highly productive and efficient, explosive wide receiver instead of just using him in a vertical type role like they did last year. And it kind of, you know, kind of depressed his numbers a little bit at the end of the year. So that's my main takeaway from that. The rookie Terrace Marshall at six targets, He's, to me, more of a red zone type of threat. I think his role can kind of grow as the year goes along. Uh, but I think, you know, it's going to be tough for him to find, you know, consistent fantasy production in an offense like that where you have Darnold at quarterback, you already have Anderson, you have more, you have McCaffrey. There's only so much more room left for a guy like Marshall to put up fantasy stats on a week-to-week basis. Uh, with the Jets, I was a little bit disappointed in Zach Wilson. I may- Maybe I bought into the preseason hype a little bit too much. Maybe I, brought- I bought into Tony Romo's hype a little bit too much, or maybe I'm just overreacting to week one, but Zach Wilson looked a little unsure of himself out there against the Panthers defense. I don't think you really need to be afraid of uh, the one prop that like I completely missed on it a lot. It, almost everyone I saw that gives out props on Twitter. We're, we're on Elijah Moore uh, over three and a half receptions. It was juiced to the over and the, the, the logic made perfect sense. Like, okay, Jamison Crowder's out. Keelan Cole's ruled out. Elijah Moore was like hyped up as the number one guy in this offense during the preseason high draft pick. He's going to play the slot. He played the slot in college. Uh, I, I got to look at the official numbers when they come out later this week, but it didn't look to me like he was really playing out of the slot. It looked like to me like they, he was running a lot of vertical routes, and he he just missed with Zach Wilson on a couple deep shots down the field. So I'd like to know, like, how are they going to use Elijah Moore? Because if he's going to be used as a deep threat as opposed to a slot receiver, then I'm going to be less bullish on him because I don't know if I can trust Zach Wilson pushing the ball downfield with accuracy and consistency there. So – other than that, I mean, Corey Davis is the man. Like, he's, he had the connection with Zach Wilson in the preseason, led the team with seven targets, had two touchdowns, 97 yards. Uh, he's the guy that I wanted to play the over on his receiving. I talked about it on me and Sleepy's Player Props podcast Friday night, but I backed off it because of the Elijah Moore news. And I thought, okay, Elijah Moore is going to come in here. He's going to demand a fair share of targets himself. And it turned out not to be the case. So I, I want to, you know, change my stance now on that, that Corey Davis is the – is the man they brought that guy in. They paid him a decent amount in his contract in the offseason. He's the veteran wide receiver, and he has the chemistry with the rookie quarterback already. So I expect to see things like this for Corey Davis on a week-to-week basis as the clear locked-in wide receiver one uh, in this offense. So other than that, I really don't have too many takeaways. I don't know. if do, do you, I, I would guess you don't have any changes you're going to make to your power ratings based off this game, but what are your kind of main takeaways if you have any for this matchup, Steve? Uh, honestly, my notes are very limited right now. I have the battle of the bad QBs. I thought they both were terrible. Uh, the turnovers were even. Not, not a whole lot separating the teams. I think it's kind of what we expected in that respect. Um, as far as McCaffrey, he looks incredible. Uh, I think the big news right now is Makai Becton being hurt and how long he's going to be yeah. out. Uh, ultimately, uh, Wilson got sacked six times. 
So in his opening day, I don't know how great that is. Uh, you know, your left tackle goes down and you get sacked six times. So uh, I, I think for the Jets faithful, I felt bad for him that Darnold scored twice. He ran it in in the second quarter. That was pretty awful. So, uh, you know, I, not, not a lot different there. I kept Carolina the exact same power rated. Uh, New York, I actually moved down a half a point just because of the Bankai Beckton news. I, I do think that's impactful, ex- especially for a rookie quarterback there. A lot of hype, like you mentioned. I uh, didn't live up to it the first game, but it, it's a long season. I think he'll, he'll be fine eventually. Um, this obviously wasn't one of those games, though. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the next game. Another battle of two relatively bad teams. But I, I just want to talk about my boy real quick. Like, I had Tyrod Taylor last year uh, ranked as, like, a top quarterback in fantasy. I had him in my top 12 and one of my top two or three QB tiers going in. And, unfortunately, one of his trainers punctured his lung before the game in week two, and it was the Justin Herbert show. And for good reason, because Justin Herbert's a talent on his own. But I've always thought that Tyrod Taylor has been one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the league. Like what he did with Buffalo in that four or five year run where he was basically taking them to the playoffs himself every single season with no supporting cast outside of a young Sammy Watkins at the time. Like he made Sammy Watkins a a relative uh, relevant wide receiver in that offense uh, and connected on a lot of deep shots over the years. I, don't, I know this is like four or five years ago, but it's really not that long ago. And I thought that he could have the exact same connection with a similar type of receiver in a Brandon Cooks. And I thought that Brandon Cooks, like people were buying into that offseason narrative that the Texans were going to be this absolute dumpster fire. But what's the difference between the Jaguars and the Texans? Because the Jaguars were the dumpster fire last year. And what do they do? They bring in Trevor Lawrence. Okay, he's obviously an upgrade at quarterback, but you bring in Urban Meyer. Is Urban Meyer an upgrade at coach? Like, I, I don't, I don't know. He, you could argue he could be a downgrade at coach for this team. You know, we don't know what he's going to wind up doing. He's going to bring in all his all his Ohio State guys, start playing favorites. Like, this isn't college. You're not recruiting at the NFL level. So that's been my concern with buying into Jacksonville guys in fantasy is the Urban Meyer effect. Like that it could be a very negative effect uh, in that franchise, like how long he could actually stick around there for. So for me, like I expected to see Chanel Jones, DJ Shark, kind of all split, like three-headed three-headed wide receiver attack in that offense. That's kind of how it played out. Uh, but for me, Tyrod Taylor, he looked really good. And I know he played against a pretty bad defense in the Jaguars, but he wound up having 291 yards total, two touchdowns, no interceptions, scrambled, ran four times for 40 yards. Again, when Tyrod Taylor was the starter in Buffalo, I made this case last year, um, he was a top seven quarterback in fantasy points per game. And what's the difference now that you're going to be seeing maybe even more negative game scripts for Houston week on, week in and week out because of their defense. So to me, I'm going to pick up Tyrod Taylor because if he starts the whole year, he could easily put up top 10 quarterback numbers in terms of fantasy points per game and basically be like a Jalen Hurts light in that offense, like slinging at the Brandon Cooks all over the field. So I'm very impressed. That's my boy. I got a soft spot in my heart, heart for Tyrod Taylor. I'm very happy to see what he did out there today. But this Texans team, I don't think is as bad as we all thought. And obviously that was reflective in them blowing out the Jaguars at home 37-21. What are your thoughts, man? Uh, Tyrod Taylor is exactly like Fitzpatrick for me. He, he's somebody that just doesn't get respect as a starter, and he plays well every time he gets that position. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence uh, didn't look great in the preseason. And, you know, this is – someone's going to latch onto it and they go, look how great Trevor Lawrence played. 332 yards and three touchdowns. But, you know, he was bad, man. He had three interceptions, 55% uh, percent completion percentage. That's not yeah. good, man. And they were playing from behind. 
So that's even more concerning uh, as he's slinging the ball over the field. He threw some nice balls. I'm not going to take that away from him. And the YPP was nearly identical. Uh, third down efficiency uh, wasn't wasn't great. It was three for 11 for Jacksonville. Um, and this was, I thought, was interesting. Only six, 76 yards rushing for Jacksonville. Houston was last in the NFL and 160 yards allowed per game last year. Uh, I don't know why it, it compelled me to do this. I typed in Urban Meyer in Google before we started this podcast. And uh, the, the three articles that came up, one was titled Catastrophic Debut. Uh, the other one said New Coach, New QB, Same Bad Jaguars. And my third, my personal favorite from the New York Post, Unhinged and Already Creating Massive Issues for the Jaguars. And I clicked on that article and it says that he's rubbed coaches and players the wrong way, freaked out about losing in the preseason, lashed out and threatened coaching staff for, and called for their job security. So yeah. I don't know what the hell is going on in uh, Jacksonville, but uh, it is concerning. Uh, I think one of the things, and I was actually on minus two for Jacksonville here, and, and I did take him in Survivor. In hindsight, and you brought it up a little bit, you made a great case for it. What in the world does Jacksonville deserve to be road favorites against any team in the NFL. I mean, th that's literally got to be the question. We don't know anything about Lawrence, who did not play particularly well in the preseason. We don't know anything about Urban Meyer as far as being a, a coach in the NFL. He can recruit. We know that. But besides that, is he able to take that talent and, and uh, teach NFL players and get them to buy in? I think there's grave concern here for Jacksonville if they start off poorly with the way it has started. Um, you know, as a giant fan, I, I know them very well. Joe Judge, you know, they clearly started off very poorly last year, but you never heard anything like this at any point during the year, even after he got in fisticuffs with the offensive line coach. So this is very concerning for me uh, if I was a Jacksonville fan and certainly it's somebody that a team that I'm going to fade moving forward. Uh, if the market doesn't adjust enough, I did move them a point and a half in my power ratings. Uh, Houston, I actually moved up uh, a full two points. I thought they were going to be the worst team in the league. I'm not so sure that's not Jacksonville at this point in time. Yeah, it's it's definitely possible. I mean, I, I always kind of look at like the analogy for the movie Major League where the Indians wanted to tank in the famous movie back in the day, but they the organization clearly wanted to lose those games. And that was Jacksonville last year. They clearly wanted to lose those games. And I think that's the reason why you saw a guy like James Robinson, you know, undrafted rookie, um, you know, he, he got the massive amount of workload and, you know, why did he get it? He, he obviously performed well. He, he performed above expectation with that workload. But now you get a situation where Urban Meyer comes in and he's bringing in his boys from Ohio State. Like, why do you bring in Carlos Hyde, who's been a very efficient running back over the last couple of years near the bottom of the league? And when you look at the box score in this game, I mean, uh, if you drafted James Robinson and you're thinking you were getting value, like you're, you're, you're shitting bricks right now because James Robinson had five carries in this game. Carlos Hyde had nine. Carlos Hyde had the same amount of yards per carry, had a long run of 13 yards, wound up having 44 yards to 25 yards for James Robinson. And then in the passing game, James Robinson, okay, he had six he had six targets, but Carlos, Carlos Hyde also had two targets, had two catches. So if this is going to be a 50-50 type of backfield, like, man, you overpaid for James Robinson, and you might not ever get that money back in terms of your fantasy football draft capital. So, uh, you know, I'd be looking to try to sell James Robinson. Let's say he comes out and has a big game, maybe gets lucky scores a touchdown or two next week, that's when you want to sell on a guy like that who's like he's going to be splitting 50-50 reps with a guy where the coach is biased towards the other guy in that backfield. And it's a, situa it's a situation I want to completely avoid because I don't see the Jaguars play playing from ahead very often. And James Robinson's going to need to rely on the passing volume in that case. And I don't know just how much he's going to get of that 
get of that in this offense. But uh, DJ Shark had 12 carry, uh, 12 targets, excuse me, led the way for Jacksonville. And then Jones and Chennault were right there with nine each. Uh, the tight end O'Shaughnessy had eight targets, six catches, 48 yards. So maybe he's a guy we could look at in terms of a tight end streamer that's developing chemistry with a rookie quarterback like Lawrence. I'll keep my eye on that uh, for our waiver wire article this week on bettingpredators.com. But um, other than that, like I think you should absolutely go pick up Tyrod Taylor off your waiver wire. And if you, if you have a guy like maybe you drafted a Justin Fields late, a Trey Lance late, uh, you know, these are guys you're expecting to do what Tyrod Taylor did today, like to put up 250 plus passing yards to, to, to run the ball for 40 yards in a given game to score a couple touchdowns. So that's why I'm high on Tyrod Taylor moving forward. And, and I, I was hesitant to rank him too high this year because I thought he'd be a guy where like they're going to pull him in week five because they're like, hey, we're tanking this year. But maybe the coaching staff wants to win. And maybe the organization's like, you know what? We've had so much negative attention around us for the last year and a half with Deshaun Watson. You know what? Forget it. We're not going to tank. Even if you think we suck, we're going to come out and try to compete. And maybe they're more competitive than we thought. And, and all these guys wind up starting all year long because Brandon Cooks, if he starts all year long with Tyrod Taylor, a quarterback, he's going to be a borderline top 10 receiver. Every season of his career when he's been healthy, he's been a top top 10 wide receiver in fantasy points per game. So Brandon Cooks, 132 yards. Expect more of that. And that's a guy, again, where I was, I had him right on my hit list to make my final player props card, and I held off because I was like, you know what? I just don't know if I can trust the coaching staff. I, don't, I just don't know if I can trust Tyrod Taylor because I haven't seen him play in a couple years. But it's everything that I thought it would be with that quarterback wide receiver connection and even more. So I'm absolutely buying into that moving forward. Uh, let's talk about our next game here. We got three more games left, Steve. Uh, Browns at the Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs win 33-29 at home. I'll kind of let you take this one because for me, nothing really stood out except for OBJ was a, was not a healthy scratch, but a late scratch before the game. Reports had kind of come, come out earlier in the day today that were saying that, hey, OBJ has been banged up all preseason. He might not even play today. Uh, so that that was a surprise. I think that was kind of maybe kept you know quiet a little a little bit compared to what the news really was during the offseason in the preseason. But uh, Jarvis Landry, five targets. Njoku, five targets. Uh you know, Baker Mayfield likes to spread the ball around a lot. He was pretty efficient overall. I'm not going to knock what he did. Mahomes, same thing with him. You know, inefficient running game for the Chiefs. Very efficient passing game with Tyree Kill just going off. 15 targets, 197 yards, long catch of 75. So you drafted Tyree Kill, you're very happy there because uh, the upside is going to be there all year long. But what are your thoughts in terms of power rating wise? Uh, were you impressed with the Browns keeping keeping up with the Chiefs in this game? And are you changing anything based on either of these teams moving forward? I didn't move either team either way. Uh, this is exactly how I thought it play out. I, I mentioned on the podcast previously that I was going to take Cleveland plus four uh, for the first half. That hit pretty easy. Uh, they were up at, at halftime. Uh, then I thought KC was going to come back and win the game. And that's exactly what happened. Mahomes is incredible. Uh, I was half joking on the podcast previously talking about the preseason struggles and how his timing looked a little bit off. And then he connects with Tyreek Hill for 11 receptions, 197 yards, one of which was 75 yards. Uh, right. He's he's the best player in, in the NFL. Or he's the most fun to watch, certainly uh, the best quarterback skill set wise. I know that you can make the case for Tom Brady, but what Mahomes can do is something that I'm not sure if there's a quarterback that's been able to do it quite like he does. The, the arm angles, the ability to escape. I, I think his uh, running ability is really underrated. Uh, something that doesn't get talked about nearly enough, in my opinion. Um, I, I yeah, thought yeah. the Chiefs did pretty well in keeping the run game in check. Uh, you know, 153 yards, I guess that is uh, fairly, um, you know, it's it's up there. But for a team like Cleveland that runs the ball as efficiently as they do, for only Chubb to have uh, 83 yards and Hunt to have 33, 
I didn't, I didn't think that was half bad there. Um, Mayfield had a brutal interception in the game. Uh, absolutely killed him. Uh, but yeah, neither way, I'm not moving this. I, and I will say this about the OBJ injury. Um, I'm not moving the needle either way for OBJ. In fact, uh, last year they played much better when he was on the sideline than actually when he was in the game. So uh, whether Odell Beckham plays, maybe that unlocks part of the offense that we haven't seen before. Maybe he's a little bit more humbled than he was in his early part of his career. Uh, but ultimately, I'm not adjusting anything based upon Beckham's uh, health. Yeah, it, it, he's had so many injuries the last couple of years. Like, for, forget about the sideshow he's put in in the media. You know, at at times, you know, over the last at, over the last couple of seasons with the Giants and then with the Browns as well. But I just don't. It's not about the name value with him anymore. He, he's just you know, he's older now, and he's not just older, but he has those injuries there. So although he's a relatively still young wide receiver, he's been banged up a lot, and he just doesn't have that kind of freak athleticism that he had earlier in his career. So I don't think I agree with you. I don't think it mo- really moves the needle all that much because Baker Mayfield's shown he's not a guy that's going to lock on to one receiver in that offense. So, uh, uh, yeah, that doesn't really – nothing changes for me, the box score in terms of who got the usage, who got the targets. I mean, I was surprised to see Najoku kind of play ahead of Austin Hooper in the pecking order, but it's a tight end committee there on a run first team. Not something I'm looking to attack in fantasy or DFS for my season-long leagues either. So, uh, Dolphins and Patriots, man, like I thought the Patriots had this game in control from the start. They looked like they were getting pressure on Tua – but the Dolphins wind up pulling it out late. Um, and, you know, Tua wasn't that great overall. The running game wasn't really there. I mean, it, it wasn't the most efficient game from either side. Both quarterbacks struggled in a certain sense. But I thought Mac Jones played pretty well. I mean, 29-39, 281 yards. Damian Harris, 100 yards on the ground. Uh, he played clearly as the lead back in that offense. And then Nelson Aguilar was questionable all week long. Winds up playing, leading the team in receiving yards. Five catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown. And Jacoby Myers, not a surprise, leads the team in targets as that shallow type of low dot slot receiver, nine targets for him, six catches. So uh, nothing really surprised me there. James White, same thing, you know, with the traditional with the traditional pocket passer under center as opposed to Cam Newton last year, you're seeing James White come back to relevancy in terms of fantasy football uh, and someone you can look to play overs on in the prop market with his receiving again, similar to you know what he did with Tom Brady when he was a high profile pass catching back. So that's my overall thoughts here with the Patriots. I like what I see in terms of consistent volume, one running back, a couple of receivers at the top end of the target pecking order. And other than that, like you had the tight end committee, but Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry look to be splitting that up. And those are two talented tight ends in their own right. It's going to be hard to kind of buy into one of those guys on a week to week basis, because you could see one guy pop off and the other one not, or you can kind of see them middling in between. So that, that's a situation tight end committees. I look to avoid overall in terms of who I want to be starting in my fantasy. But other than that, again, just like the last game, nothing really surprised me in terms of the usage overall. Next week, we're going to, we're going to get Will Fuller back. Uh, maybe we'll get Preston Williams back uh, for the Dolphins as well. So they could be adding a couple of receivers into the mix there. Um, but Jalen Waddle looked good. Uh, so I'm impressed with what I saw from him, the rookie there, six targets, 61 yards and a touchdown. And Devontae Parker leading leading the team in targets with seven. So uh, you know, I'm interested. I'm interested to see how the targets wind up playing out when Will Fuller gets back into the fold. Because last year he was a top ten wide receiver in his own right, uh, playing with the Texans with Deshaun Watson before he got suspended. So that's when I, that's what I'm going to keep my eye on for week two. I don't know if you have anything else uh, out of this game with this division rivalry game here. Yeah, the the Patriots out yardage them by 140. Uh, I, I feel like. They should have won the game. They lost a turnover battle. They lost a penalty battle. Uh, uh, they, they ran the ball better. They passed the ball better. Uh, the Patriots should have won this game. 
in all honesty, uh, it, it, a couple costly turnovers, I think, really made the difference in the game. Um, Bill Belichick has to be losing his mind right now with the two fumbles by the running back. I mean, that's something that he doesn't, uh, you know, take kindly to. The Patriots were 11 of 16 on third down conversions, and they lost the game. Like, wow. it is, it's mind-boggling looking at the stats as, as I'm going over everything right now. Uh, the, the biggest takeaway that I, I – and the reason why I'm not downgrading because they, they lost at home to a division rival, it, I thought Mac Jones actually played well. Uh, for someone yeah. coming into it, there was conversation about Cam Newton and how much of a downgrade is Mac Jones or is it one. Uh, I'm not sure that it is one. Um, you know, defensively, you know, New England's good. I mean, honestly – I'm not really sure how they lost this game. I, this is one of those games that I'm going to have to go back and, and do some reading, maybe watch some uh, of, of the clips of it to see specifically what happened and why they ended up losing it. But this is not a game that Bill Belichick typically loses. I'm curious if he loses it with someone that's not a rookie quarterback making their first start. But uh, just by looking at it, he was only sacked one time. It looks like he played fairly well. Uh, had a QBR of 75.3, uh, which is good. A QB rating of 102. Uh, I'm impressed by Mac Jones. Uh, I have a ticket for him to win the rookie of the year. Uh, and I mean, I don't feel any worse about it than after this game. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you there hundred percent. I mean, the, the Patriots had a little more penalties, but they did dominate in terms of time of possession in this game. So I agree with you. They look like the better team to me when I was watching both teams play overall, Mac Jones looked comfortable in the pocket, checking down the James white, finding his, his receivers. You kind of see a clear role in terms of the check down back with James white Jacoby Myers in the slot, and then Nelson Aguilar out wide. So I, I like that consistency in that offense there. Uh, last game here before we wrap it up, we talked about the Saints and Packers already. Last game we have on the board here is the Broncos and the Giants. Broncos win 27-13 on the road. Jerry Judy was having himself a nice day. I was very high on him coming into fantasy this year, but unfortunately he's going to be out at least four to eight weeks is what it looks like with, with a high ankle sprain, I believe. So big blow to their offense in terms of their offense because I think he was one of the top receivers coming into his, his second year out of all, all the rookies from last year in last year's draft class. So uh, I think that hurts Denver's offense overall, uh, but I was impressed with their defense. I was expecting them to have a good day. They played well. Uh, Melvin Gordon looked good. I mean, 11 carries, 101 yards. He actually got out-carried by Javante Williams. That was one of our best bets in, in our uh, in-season package earlier this week was Javante Williams over six and a half. Even later in the week, the books wound up, they took it down. Then they reposted it. We were talking about this earlier today. Uh, uh, BetMGM put up the six and a half again, uh, but then Bet Online still had seven and a half at minus one forty nine. And I hate to pay that type of juice, but uh, we had uh, Javante Williams projected for ten plus carries in this game uh, with the with the expected projected uh, positive game script. So to me, that was a gimme play. Uh, so, so we hit that easily. I was happy about that. And just overall, nothing really stood out to me except the Giants kind of looked like same old, same old. Uh, from last season, like Daniel Jones, like Sterling Shepard had a really nice game, nine targets, seven catches, 113 yards. And then it was a mix of Darius Slayton, Kenny Galladay, Kyle Rudolph, uh, Saquon Barkley had three uh, targets in the passing game. He was kind of limited as well, 10 carries for 26 yards. I know you had a couple bets on Barkley's unders. What are your thoughts overall? Those are those are your New York Giants, by the way. I'm pretty sure you're a Giants fan over there, right? I'm going to take down all the pictures in the background. I don't think they deserve to be up in my house. <laughs> Um, real quickly, before we get to the Giants, uh, catastrophe that they are, Melvin Gordon ended up with 101 yards rushing. He had 70 in one play. So there wasn't a whole lot of efficiency when he got the rock. Obviously that 70 yard run is fantastic. Uh, but certainly Williams, I think is, is the bell cow there. And maybe not the bell cow, but he's certainly the one a to, uh, Gordon. Um, now let's get to the Giants. Um, 
I love how you saved this for last, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Jones, his ceiling is potentially an average quarterback, maybe maybe top, uh, you know, the 20th in the NFL, uh, which is what was so frustrating about the Giants. I actually thought that they should have tried to move up and draft the quarterback, and frankly, they, they didn't do it, and now they're left with the same situation that they have right now, and no one is there to, to, to make them better or to give them hope. Now, a couple of things for the Giants. There's not a whole bunch here that happened that I didn't expect. Um, they played poorly. Uh, they were not cohesive on offense. Um, I gave out under 20 and a half team total on the last podcast. Uh, I knew Saquon Barkley wasn't going to get a lot of touches. We also gave out in, in our uh, Discord channel that it was going to be under uh, 13 and a half. He only got 10. I think the narrative about Saquon Barkley being one of the best running backs in the NFL, it, it, where have we seen this recently? The guy's been injured constantly. Now, yeah. granted, the offensive line is awful, but this team – he doesn't do anything. There's, he doesn't make those game-breaking plays that we talked about. Now, granted, I understand, and I'm overreacting to this. I know this, and this is probably where the fan comes out. Uh, but he just doesn't do that. He, he hasn't had that explosive play that you're like, oh, man, he's the greatest, or he, he did this move, and um, it just hasn't been there, even when he was healthy previously. So I am down on Saquon Barkley. Um, I'm down on the Giants, frankly. Uh, as much as I loved them early in the year, their, their offensive line is still in shambles. Um, Shepard has been playing really well in the preseason. He's somebody that we should take a look at moving forward. Had yeah. nine targets, which led the team. Um, not surprised at all that he had over 100 yards and that many receptions. Um, Galladay, I thought, played okay under the circumstances. You know, he's that big receiver that Jones can kind of throw it down and he can make a, uh, you know, a jump ball to it and he'll come down. And he did it a couple of times actually in the game today. Uh, but they only lost by 14 points here, but the game was not that close. And it was still a two-score game. I downgraded the Giants a full point. I upgraded Denver a half a point. Uh, I thought Bridgewater looked fantastic. I mean, he's somebody that I think um, needs to go up in the ratings, uh, QB ratings a little bit. He's like that game manager that's a little bit better than a game manager. He, he's um, smart. It's not like he runs real fast or throws real hard or far. Um, he's just a solid quarterback. He's probably exactly what I would want Daniel Jones to eventually become, um, even though I don't think he's going to be there, which is pretty sad for the Giants fans. So um, not sure what your thoughts were on that. No, I mean, overall with the Giants, I mean, with the Broncos, like, you know, I would be a little more bullish on that offense. But I think, again, Judy, Judy leaving there is a big blow to them. So I just don't know, like, you know, Teddy looks good, but now he's going to be at more of a disadvantage because he's going to be without his clear-cut best receiver in that offense. I mean, Cortland Sutton doesn't really fit the, the passing profile that Bridgewater has as a quarterback as being like the one-on-one -on -one type of vertical threat where he's going to win jump balls and 50-50 balls and things like that. Uh, and he's coming off a lot of injuries himself there too, and that's not the kind of, kind of guy that Bridgewater is. So that would be a little bit of my concern there. But I agree with you in the fact that, yeah, Melvin Gordon did flash with that 70-yard play. If you take that away, it, it basically looks the same. Where Javante Williams, like you said, like he had more carry. If Javante Williams has more carries than Melvin Gordon in week one, in a game where the Broncos led comfortably, also in a game where Melvin Gordon rips off a highlight reel type of touchdown run, and, and Javante Williams finishes with 14 carries to 11, then I think you're going to see like that that's going to be very indicative of what we're going to see for the next 17 weeks of the regular season. So I will be looking to continue to buy Javante Williams. Like what are they going to do to correct the market for week two, Steve? Cause like, if they're going to put this line for Javante Williams carries, what, what are they going to do? Are they going to move it up to eight and a half to nine and a half? Is it going to be, yeah. I, I think personally, if I was setting it myself, I'd probably be setting it at least like, 
I, I'd be thinking about putting it at 12 and a half. I don't know if it's going to come out that high. I think we might still have an advantage to play the over on that because, again, this is a run first team with, you know, a, a game manager type quarterback in Teddy who, who does, does have the skills to pass it if he needs to with a defensive minded head coach who just lost their best receiver. So I, you're going to see more running into yeah. the game plan overall, more trust in the rookie running back in Javante Williams. So I expect more of the same. And he's a guy I want to buy low on in fantasy because he had a very pedestrian stat line, 45 rushing yards, not much in the receiving game, but I expect the, the carries to increase and the role to increase as we move along each weekend of the season. So I definitely want to buy low on a guy like Javante Williams uh, with the workload that he got there. And Chris, real quick on that too. Um, the, they're playing Jacksonville next week as six point road favorites. So it's, it's very much similar game script, which could very well happen in this game right now. Right. So they're, they're up by a lot. They lean on that. They don't have Jerry Judy anymore. Maybe they run the ball even more frequently against that team next week. So I certainly going to be looking in that respect Um, on the flip side of it, the giants defense. And I didn't mention this before. It focused so much on the offense. The defense has been very, very poor uh, in this game. They did not look good. And that's something that was supposed to be the strong suit for the giants. Uh, next week, they go to uh, Washington. I believe it's in Washington for Thursday night here. Not a huge turnaround for them. Obviously, Heineke is now the quarterback. But after that, if they don't have a dominant performance uh, against Heineke uh, in Washington on Thursday night, I think we look to fade uh, the Giants defense there and take some of the offensive players of the opponents there um, because they did not they didn't show up today and they were supposed to. That was the expectation. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it might be an ugly game there. So I might be looking to fade everyone except for maybe Antonio Gibson in a matchup like that. But uh, other than that, I mean, let's just break down real quick. Uh, you know, the next two or three minutes, uh, Sunday Night Football just ended here. The Rams closed out the win. Um, you know, we went 3-0 and on our player props for tonight. Uh, just so people know, I want people that are going to see this that aren't subscribed to our podcast, uh, to our package that have been following us on the podcast for the last two years. Um I'm continuing to put out my player props column for free, but that doesn't come out until very late Sunday morning. Uh, And throughout the week, every time that I make a bet, every time Steve makes a bet, Sleepy makes a bet, we're instantly putting that wager into the Discord because we know that the lines eventually are going to move. Not saying we're moving the lines ourselves, but these lines eventually, a lot of them are going to be, you know, sharper plays than most. So I want you to be able to take advantage. I, you know, you can get our in-season package right now for basically less than a dollar a day for the entire season. You're going you're gonna to get access from now through the end of the Super Bowl. You're going to have access to our private betting Discord channel. Steve's dropping a lot of really good stuff in there. And then the other content we're putting out, in addition to my player props, is uh, Steve's doing his power ratings, which we talked about a lot on the show here tonight, uh, as well as look-ahead lines. And that's one thing I want to mention before we get off here is uh, Steve, you gave out your look ahead lines piece where you're forecasting, hey, look, like you're looking at the week ahead. So right now we're looking at week two lines uh, and it's already too late to, ma- to make the best bets there. Like, so talk about that a little bit, your look ahead lines piece, what you're doing there. And like, just for example, like you gave out the uh, the Broncos, what was it? Minus two and a half. Yeah. And now they're already what? Minus five and a half or something like that. So the yeah, lines are that yeah, so uh, basically we put we take a look at the uh, look ahead lines. So basically when they post, we're trying to find the value, uh, you know, as the week progresses here. 
that we can take advantage of and try to figure out what's going to happen on the weekend and get ahead of it and get ahead of the line move, which is exactly what we did this particular week. Uh, we had Denver minus two. They're in a, a great matchup right now. Denver looked incredible against the Giants, which was the expectation. Jacksonville looked worse than uh, expected, which was also something that we mentioned in the article as well. Uh, so to, to get that three, uh, the three and a half point line movement through the key number of three uh, is absolutely enormous right now. So uh, we're sitting pretty, pretty, uh, we're sitting pretty on that one. Yeah. Um, we also took a couple different ones here too, um, as far as plays for this upcoming week. Uh, let me pull it up here. We have uh, the suspense has got to be killing you guys just sitting here and <laughs> saying absolutely nothing. We took Philadelphia plus three and a half. Um, we also are on Miami as well. Um, so we got a couple of nice plays here that we're pretty excited about. And, you know, we'll see. I don't think it's too often that you get that two and a half point line move. Uh, if we could have flipped the other side and got, uh, you know, minus three and a half, you know, it would have been that it would have been worth it alone. So to get that two and a half all the way up to um, six is pretty exciting. And uh, hopefully we keep continue building on this. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that we did was our we hit our teaser pick tonight. Uh, which was the second leg for the uh, Los Angeles Rams. So we've done very well uh, this week in particular. Uh, definitely excited about it. I'm looking to continue that movement and the momentum moving forward. Yeah, so just to let people know, in case they're not aware, you can go to bettingpredators.com on the homepage, and there's links there to learn more about our in-season package. Again, we're actually going to be launching our, our monthly pricing option, hopefully starting tomorrow. I was hoping to launch it this weekend before the week one games are officially over. We're still working out some kinks in the background with that. But uh, right now, right now we have our in-season package available for $119.99. It comes out to basically like 20 bucks a month. You're getting access from now through the end of the Super Bowl in February. Uh, what you're going to get with that is you're going to get our top, our top player props each and every week. But you're getting early access to those bets. Like when the, when the initial player prop lines come out on, let's say, a Wednesday or even a Thursday – the second one of us makes a bet, we're dropping that instantly into our private betting Discord channel with all of our in-season package subscribers. And they're able to take advantage of those lines because, again, like my player props column, which which comes out for free on Sundays, you know, maybe you'll do well from, from week to week on that. But <clears throat> you're going to be losing out on a lot of closing line value simply because I just don't have the time to do everything that it takes to get that column out with promoting it on Twitter, laying out the content on the website, everything like that. So I feel like we want to still give a lot of really good, really good value in terms of our free content that we did last year. But I think what we're doing behind, behind the scenes for our premium subscribers, like we're putting in 10 times the effort because we're really dedicated to being successful at that and helping save people time and make them money. So you're going to get player props for every primetime game for every Sunday main slate. You're going to get DFS rankings for every primetime game every Sunday main slate. And then you're going to get Steve's power ratings earlier in the earlier in the week. Steve does his power ratings updated as well as like a look ahead betting primer for the week ahead with his best bets, teasers, et cetera. And then later in the week, like we just mentioned, you're going to get access to Steve's look ahead lines piece, which is going to be like, Hey, like we're talking about this Wednesday coming up. A lot of people are going to be betting for week two. Steve's going to be already betting for week three. So that's going to be the benefit of like getting advantage on the closing line value is going to be huge. Just in that example, we brought up alone. A couple other things you're going to get is uh, Sleepy does his betting strategy article once a week. So you're going to get access to that in terms of his notepad, things that he's doing research on, uh, notes that he's taken for the bets he's making, et cetera. Kind of like a behind the scenes type of content there. Uh, and then the other thing is going to be our podcast recap, uh, the player props podcast that's, that Sleepy and I do every week, breaking down every game from a player props and DFS perspective. We're going to have a written version of that 
uh, that's going to be available for subscribers only. So people who don't have the time to listen that just want to kind of want to read the footnotes and, and the bullet notes of that, that's going to be available for, for subscribers too. So when it comes down to it, we're giving you almost like two pieces of premium content every day, every single week for like a dirt cheap price that frankly, I don't see around in the industry. So I'm very proud of what we're doing. I think it's a very strong product and I think it's only going to grow and get better from here. We're already very well into the black in week one and we still have more wagers to make for Monday night football. So I'm excited about Steve. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add other than that. We'll try to wrap it up here and, and move on. Yeah. I think the big thing is there's a lot of people that put content out with gambling stuff and, and uh, sports betting and not a lot of people actually bet it. I'm not sure if that's a well-known uh, concept, but there's not a lot of people that actually put their money where their mouth is, so to speak. There's not a play that I give that we talk about that I'm not physically betting myself. So whether we win and we're celebrating together, if we're losing, then I'm losing, you know, obviously because I let you folks down, but also because it hurts my wallet simultaneously and my family. So this is something that, you know, matters to me and something that we take very seriously and, uh, you know, after we get our fill, we want you to get yours as well. We want to make sure that you guys are getting the best content that you possibly can get, the best prices you can get, um, any tips. Um, as the game's progressing today, uh, we have a community of people over there that are asking questions. We're talking. We're finding the best lines for each other. Um, and, and that's what it's all about is ultimately we're trying to win as a community and, yeah. you know, try to beat the sports book, you know. 100%, man. Like from our team down to the subscribers to the extended uh, team that we have of con- contributors that do free can- free content on the site. Like we're a team, ride together, die together. And like you said, it's a community trying to win together. So we're all betting predators here, whether you're a reader, whether you're a listener, whether you're one of us doing these shows here. So I'm excited about the future for that. And I'm excited about all the people we have on board as well. And I think the Discord channel is really awesome value for people who want to get instant access to those bets where they don't have to look at Twitter and follow a certain person or be like, Hey, there's seven guys giving out free picks every single week on Twitter. I don't know who to follow because if one guy has a bad week, one guy has a good week, it's going to balance itself out. And I'm really not going to win that much. And I think in this case, like we're all putting our heads together as a team and we're putting these props out with the research we're doing with all the things we're doing collectively on a collaborative level. So I, I think there's a lot of value there. And again, the fact like this is all DFS, this is all props. This is all betting because those are the things that are going to make you money and we want to save you time in doing so. So that's the value proposition we want to bring to you as a potential subscriber. If you want to get access to our early bird rate, the last chance you have to get that is by the end of Monday Night Football tomorrow night. So if you want, use code NFL20 on the site to save 20 bucks off or shoot me a DM and I can help hook it up for you. But other than that, that, that $20 off, that's going to go away after Monday Night Football next week. We're going to still have a discount rate we're going to give out, but it's not going to be the full $20 off. Uh, for the early bird rate. So get in now, make some money with, with us. We're just getting started here for the NFL season. Uh, Steve, I, we, we went three and zero on the props. I was a little, I had some really bad beats earlier today. I was six and five heading into Sunday night football on my props. And we wound up having a nice three and zero sweep. We hit Darnell Mooney under 46 and a half Cole Komet over two and a half catches Higby over three and a half catches. So I was coming in feeling a little iffy about it, but I'm feeling good. Nine and five going into Monday night football. I want to close the week strong, man. So uh, any takeaways from the game? I know we didn't really walk too much of the second half here, but it was kind of what I expected, 34 to 14. Nothing really stood out. Henderson looked really good. Uh, Stafford looked efficient. Higby, Woods, Cup, that whole trio there are wide receivers, and uh, it's only a matter of time before Fields has to become the starter there. So that's kind of my overall thoughts, but that's kind of what I thought going into the game as well. 
I think from a, a, a betting perspective, uh, getting the early number and how critical it is, Dalton's unders were dominated. Everybody was betting him left and right, but the closing number actually hit to the over. So it's extremely important they get the early number there. Uh, and that's what, obviously what we're trying to do over here. Uh, that was one thing that I noticed. And again, I don't think it's too long before we see Justin Fields here. Uh, he had he was two for two for 10 yards. That's not telling us anything in that respect. Obviously, we weren't paying attention a whole bunch to the game today. Um, had a, a couple bets on the unders with receivers. Uh, obviously, he did a great job today going 3-0. and was tailing that all day long. Love that Higby play. Um, yeah, it's, it's basically it. This is not a whole lot different you know we play the rams while they're healthy you know they're they're very top heavy so if they have any injuries their depth isn't there to support um you know the rest of the team so ultimately bet them early in the year and as it progresses if they're healthy we'll continue to do so but we'll obviously adjust if there's some injuries there yeah 100 man well that's going to do it we went an hour and a half we broke down every single game on the sunday main slate i think that was what 13 14 games we broke down including sunday night football uh, so, again, get in our Discord channel, subscribe to our in-season package. We're going to have best bet player props for Monday Night Football. We're going to have DFS top plays for Monday Night Football as well. Steve's power ratings are going to come out for subscribers only on Tuesday, and we're going to have a lot, of, a lot of awesome content throughout the week. So get in with us now. Get that early bird rate locked in. Hit us up on Twitter if you need anything. He's at Avoid the Vig. I'm at Mad Journalist. That's M-A-D-D Journalist with two Ds. Uh, we'll see you later. Sleepy will be on some podcasts later this week. I'll be there Thursday with Sleepy for our Money Picks podcast. And uh, Steve, you're going to be on with Dave, with Uncle Dave Essler and, Sleep, uh, and Sleepy to talk about some week three games as well. So uh, right. other than that, hit, hit us up on Twitter and uh, get in the Discord and, and let's make some money, man. Peace out. <laughs>